You're hey, what's good? Good man. Um, so this is the fourth installment of game six. Um, your favorite podcast. Um, yep, four score and four episodes ago is where it all began. Exactly. Uh, so we're gonna get right into it, man. Uh, first thing on the on the topic that we have for you guys is uh, you know, in regards to tanking, right? So every if you're a casual NBA fan, you may not know too much about it, but most NBA fans know like what tanking is, and you know, there's a lot of debates on whether it's a cool thing to do, whether it's a smart thing to do, ethical, non-ethical. Um, but for fans who may not know exactly what tanking is, right? So just tanking um, is basically trying to lose on purpose um, in efforts to get the best chance you can to get the best draft pick you can. So in the NBA, unlike some other sports, uh, they have a lottery system, and then you can be if you don't make the playoffs, everybody is entered to the lottery. So I think it's about 14 teams um, every year uh, that do not make the, t- uh, the playoffs. And those teams get uh, get a percentage of, you know, ping pong balls that they get or you know, lottery balls that they get into the lottery. And if you, you know, lose the most games in the NBA season, you have the highest chance. What I think, which I think right now is like 25%. Um, the second and third worst teams are like, like 14% each. Um, and so they're trying to even it out, you know, back in the day, it used to be just random. Everybody had the same chance, but um, now it's the percentages and, you know, obviously the higher percentage means you lost the most amount of games. So teams are here knowing that they can't make the playoffs or if they make the playoffs, they're going to get swept in the first round. Some of those teams decide to tank and, you know, it's a question of whether that's a cool or not cool thing to do. Um, what do you think, uh, Josh, from your perspective? Well, honestly, in terms of it being ethical, it doesn't really personally matter to me in that regard. Like, because there's a reward for losing the most games. You have the best potential to get the best young player coming up in the draft. So if the system were not set up that way, I could see the argument for not tanking, but tanking gives a lot of teams a better chance to win in in the long run, especially in basketball. In basketball, if you don't have one of the top 20, 25 players in the league, you're not really competing. You might get a playoff spot. You might lose in the first round in six games, but you're not really competing for anything. Case in point, the Memphis Grizzlies, what are they really competing for? Even all those years, what were they really competing for? There was one year where they were really competing. That's when they made it to the Western Conference Finals. You know, for some teams making it to that point where you can be able to do that, you know, that's that's good for them. And I don't blame them for that. And there's some owners that, you know, they just – they're in it for the month. So, I don't care. Just give me a guy who can dunk, a guy who can shoot threes, like crowd up, and I'll sell some tickets, sell some jerseys, and make some money. But getting a LeBron James, Giannis type of player, Steph Curry, KD kind of player, those players, the way the NBA is set up now, you're not getting those guys in free agency. So your best bet is to draft them. It's I don't know how many of those kind of guys have really gone somewhere in free agency besides KD and LeBron. And even then, he can only go to one team. And what's to say he's going to go to your team? Because – I mean, like, even if you're the Lakers, like, there's almost no prestige to being a Laker or a Celtic anymore. 
So, like, what leverage do you really hold unless you can almost promise them a championship? So, I just think there's two ways to go about it, and you can do it both ways. Right. I And where we disagree is I think it's unethical for, this, uh, for the simple fact of coming from somebody who worked with his, you know, worked with a couple different teams directly, you know, you're charging fans the same uh, amount, sometimes even more for teams that aren't winning and aren't even really uh, trying to win, which is, is just ridiculous in itself. Um, and the way Mark Cuban did it, um, he came out on that podcast with Julius Irving and, you know, said openly, which the NBA doesn't like for obvious reasons that they're trying to tank. You know, what does that mean for season ticket holders who are paying their paying the bills for the Mavericks um, and are out here just saying, like, oh, yeah, we're not going to try to be winning games for the next for the rest of the season. Like, but you mean to tell me I already paid full price for these tickets, you know, when they when they came out now, all of a sudden, um, you know, you, you, you're not trying to win games. Now, there are some fans like you, know, you mentioned it at one point who wanted, you know, just want to see dirt. I highly doubt. I can almost guarantee there are no fans who bought season tickets to see Dirk and Whiskey in his last couple seasons. No. Dude, he's like the legend Maverick player. Like, it don't like if you are a Maverick fan, that is your guy. He's like Michael Jordan to them just because they don't have anybody else. Yeah, it's like definitively a Maverick. That's like not, a legend. They're not buying season tickets for that, though. Especially the way – now, if it was LeBron, like LeBron playing how he is now, yeah, I can see that. Even maybe even Dwayne Wade when he went back to the Heat, I still don't think you know when he got traded to the Heat, you didn't have an influx of people buying season tickets because they're they know he's not who he used to be. Now, Dirk and Whiskey, so then what you're saying is they bought those season tickets to see Harrison Barnes and 19 year old Dennis Smith Jr. compete for an eight seed in the playoffs. I think no, no, I don't think they. I think most Dallas Mavericks fans knew they didn't really have a much of a chance to make the playoffs. A lot of times. But season ticket holders, they buy tickets out of habit. Um, I can get, almost guarantee the Mavericks didn't have like an influx of people, like a new business, who bought season tickets. Um, and if they did, it wasn't for Dirk and Whiskey. It wasn't, and especially since we don't know if this is the last season. The Lakers, when Kobe announced that that was his last season, may have gotten some, a lot of new business out of him saying, this is my last season. And, you know, the Lakers are a hot commodity in L.A. And the only way you could have got tickets um, for a discount, uh, at least, was the half season tickets. Now, that is a different story. I can't believe that. But the Mavericks, that, that's like one of the few things that you could do with Dallas. I mean, I guess you could go to a Cowboys game, but, you know. Hey, guess- <laughs> hey now, we're not taking shots over here. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like, if look at the Mavericks games. They're not selling out. So, people not going there to see Dirt and Whiskey play 10 minutes to 15 minutes a game and barely do anything. Um, the hardcores are, bro, and that's who's the sick and that's who's that's who the season ticket buyers are. The hard you'll be surprised how many season ticket buyers are not hardcore. One, two, um, I that you're, you're talking less than 10 percent. I can probably count on my hand how many season ticket holder accounts are here. Like, I'm only here to see Dirk play. I can, especially since he's not playing much, like, he's not playing much and he's not the same player that he used to be. Like, I, I there's some loyal fans out there who are like that, but my, my point is saying. Even those fans, you're still charging them the full price when you're not even playing dirt that much because, you know, the more you play him, the slightly better chance you have at winning. And you, as Mark Cuban, you don't want to do that right now. So, yeah, it, it, I can't rock with that, um, which is crazy in a sense. I think he said that as a part of 
revision. I can't even say the word, but he did. He said that after the fact because just a couple of years ago they paid Harrison Barnes a max contract, and he just gave um, Nolan's Noel or uh, thinking about giving Nolan's or uh, Nolan's Noel almost max contract money to be their center. Well, so see, the way to- that it was explained to me was they went into the season with the intent to compete. But it won't working out that way. So they said, hey, let's just lose. That's the way I took it. Well, that's not then that's a, that's a bad strategy. <laughs> it's not a good strategy. If you're gonna lose <laughs> anyway, you just lose. I, I'm with that. So why <laughs> my point is that's a bad strategy because now you're losing halfway. You're not fully committed because you still got Harrison Barnes is a good player. He's a very solid player. Nerlens Noel is a great defender. Um so you got you got talented guys on the team. You got players on that Mavericks team where if they were playing to win and not playing guys to give them, you know, quote-unquote player development or anything like that, they wouldn't be as bad as they are right now. Um, Which is what, like five games better? Six, eight games better? Maybe an eight seed. Getting bounced maybe. by the Warriors in round one? Probably sweating. You never know. Look at the look at the Lakers, man. You can't tell me that the Lakers uh, on paper are better than the Mavericks. And the Lakers, they're not really fighting for a playoff spot, but because they don't have any incentive to lose, because they don't have their first-round pick this season, they're fighting. They're playing young guys who are playing well and, you know, maybe inconsistent, but they have something to build for the future. And the reason why I don't like tanking is for a lot of – for the same reason when you got guys, especially young players, you're messing with their careers as well. If I'm coming into an, a, a culture where you put me on the court, but you don't really want me to succeed, um, and you just put me out there because you know I'm not that good right now, how is that going to help me down the road? Like that's why I don't, I don't, I don't like that aspect. That's why I think a team like the Sixers, they have just so many injuries with their with their you know star rookies because of karma. Because you have that culture for the last four or five seasons where they were purposely losing and quote unquote trusting the process. But they built the culture of losing. Well, and see, just, well, see, uh, that's one way to look at it. But you could also look at it like they're saying to this guy, "All right, this is the wasteland. There's nothing around you, but you're the Messiah. Take me to the promised land." And that's like for <laughs> real. That's the way of building a guy up, seeing if that guy can be the guy to carry your team in the future. Shoot, yeah. Jordan. Jordan was playing around. Negative zero, like for real, and that don't even exist. Whenever he first came in, I mean, like, dude, he led the team in every single statistical category. Yeah, but Jordan, first of all, Jordan was the third overall pick, and people knew for him coming out of college that he was a great player. They weren't losing on purpose, though. Yeah, they weren't losing on purpose, but I'm saying they, the situation he was placed in was there's nothing around you. Are you the guy? Can you show me something to say? For me to say that you're the guy and you can put guys out there like um, Dennis Smith Jr. or maybe Lonzo and they show you something that you think, all right, this guy might be the guy. Then you might get a guy like Dante Exum or Michael Carter Williams and like they might show flashes, but then they just show you later on that they're not really the guy. And so that's another way to look at it. So, I mean, like me personally, I wouldn't want to bring young players into a losing culture either. But at the same time, it's kind of like a sink or swim kind of thing, fight or flight. What are you going to do? Are you going to rise up? Are you going to show me the player you are? Or are you just going to fade into mediocrity like every 
everybody else that's around you, which that's how Kobe tested a lot of his teammates. He'd see, are you going Jordan too? Are you going to rise up or are you going to fade into mediocrity? No, but I, I agree with that mindset. I'm cool with that, you know, seeing if a guy is made of it or not. But that's not what they're doing when they're tanking. They're, they're not saying, okay, we got this number one overall pick. We don't have much around him, but we're going to give him the keys to the car and see what he can do with it. But that's I'm pretty sure that's why they're telling him. Yeah, you can yeah, tell them, man. You can you tell them that. And if you tell them that, they might believe it. I mean, look, some of these guys think they're the best thing since sliced bread, so they'll probably believe it. They can believe it all they want, but my point is when the when the owners and the executives on the team are literally using analytics to see what um, lineups they have that don't really um, do well and, and produce at a high enough clip, they're putting those lineups out there on purpose. Like that's yeah, that's that's not you giving the keys to somebody and be like, show me what you got. That's not what they're doing. Um, some teams may do that. But when you got a guy like Mark Cuban coming out and saying, yeah, we're going to tank on purpose um, or, or lose on purpose, that's, yeah, he deserved that, fine. You're lucky he didn't make it worse. You're lucky he didn't lose his first overall pick, um, or not first overall, but first round pick, because uh, that was in play for sure. Nah, I that is straight booty. I wouldn't have been mad if the NBA did that. Um, that is straight Because it would, it would have sent the message um, to the NBA, to the league. You know, they sent the memo out as a reminder. But you really want to send a message? Take away that first round pick, and then you take it for what? Now, now what you take it for? So, what would you do to stop tanking? Then would be my question. Um, I think there's something to be said about having the teams that don't make the um, playoffs have everybody as close to equal as possible as far as percentages. So it's a crapshoot. You can have a team that. You know, let's you know who's a good example, like the Lakers. They're kind of sort of on the fringe. You know, they're missing a, a, a well, they don't have their pick, but let's just like the Knicks. They, you know, they, they, once they, Przingis went down, they definitely, they, I don't even know if they're tanking. I don't know if it's so much they just are not good, but um, well, a team like the Knicks shouldn't tank because they can't draft. They really hit gold with Porzingis because, like, man, they cannot draft. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they have some bad ones. But, um, you know, a team like the Knicks who had their first-round pick, if they since their star went down and now they're going to be losing games and miss the playoffs, if they had an equal percentage to get, you know, the number one overall pick or get a top seed um, just as equally as, you know, the Grizzlies do, who's been bad this entire season, um then that'll that'll make things a little bit more interesting. Then the Knicks don't have as much incentive just to lose as many games as possible because everybody has the same um, uh, uh, opportunity to get the best players possible or get rid of the draft. That's oh, really? you'd be thinking about that. That was um, – you know what? Let's save that because I want to talk about that in the next topic, which would be the NCAA probe. But let's, let's get into it. Unless you, unless you got something else on the tanking, let's get into that. First, I wanted to give how I would fix tanking, and one would be eliminating the draft, which I'd talk more detail in after we discuss the NCAA probe. But the other way would be keep the draft. But instead of giving the worst team the best chance to get the number one pick, give the first teams out of the playoffs the best chance. 
Mm, that's a new one. I haven't heard about that one. So even if you're not competing for – so like this year, even though the Knicks or the Lakers would not be competing for a playoff spot, they're competing for Draymond – no, DeAndre Ayton or Marvin Bagley, whichever one they want. And the young players wouldn't come into a straight-up losing culture. It'd be like a more 50-50, but they'd have a lot more veterans on the team because the teams that tank, they oftentimes do have young G-leaguers on them. Which, I don't know, because Pop, man, he'd be taking G-leaguers and, like, you know, <laughs> three seeds, but I don't know. He's a genius. Yeah. You know, I think that that would be very interesting and you wouldn't see teams tanking. You definitely wouldn't see teams tanking because there's, there's no incentive to tank, period. Right. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting way to go about it. I, I, I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't. The main thing I would say is that the teams then who are bad, like the Grizzlies, who have no shot of even sniffing the playoffs, how would they get better? Because you, you want a little bit of parity in the NBA um, or in sports general, really. But, you you know, you don't want teams who who are like the Sacramento Kings or anything like that to just continually continuously be bad season after season. Well, evidence shows that the Kings are going to be bad season after season regardless. <laughs> <laughs> They've been getting top five picks. How long? Yeah. Well, this season, I will say, I do like – some of the, especially the, I like their draft last year, and I like the potential for seasons moving forward. I do, um, but I, I do see a point. They missed the playoffs in almost the last decade entirely. <laughs> so, yeah, last time they made it was like what oh four. Whenever, yeah. uh, yeah, it was like oh four. Yeah, it was it was like them and the Timberwolves who more than likely will make the playoffs, obviously. But see, like. Uh, What's going to matter to those teams more than getting this pick, that pick right, signing this free agent, that free agent is going to be the guy that makes those decisions. And a lot of times the teams that are bad are horribly managed teams. Case in point, who runs the Kings front office? Who's their GM? Vlade Diva. (laughs) There you go. Who um, was the Suns GM whenever they were doing good? Steve, Steve Kerr, who was the Warriors GM whenever they came up. Jerry West. <laughs> All right. Where is Jerry West going? He's going to the Clippers. And what have the Clippers been doing? Making better decisions. Like trading Blake Griffin? <laughs> if you want money, you keep Blake. But if you're trying to progress and win championships, because, like, honestly, the way the game is set up, Blake could be your third or fourth best player on a championship team. But outside of that, well, the way he's playing now, he might could be second. But the way he was in L.A., he, I mean, and then he was at the peak of his value. Yeah, you you move a guy like that. Well, the Pistons are actually struggling a lot in the last couple of games um, with Blake and uh, DeAndre. Uh, not DeAndre, Andre Drummond. Um, so that trade might not have – because they might miss, the play, might miss the playoffs, which will totally be the – opposite reason as to why he even got Blake in the first place. Well, they can miss the playoffs this year, but the real test will be next year because they have more time to build confidence and chemistry in each other. So That's where the real test is. Yes, and I, I see what, what you're thinking is, but when you get a guy like Blake Griffin who's 
you know, when he's 34, going to be costing you almost $40 million a year. I think you try to make the playoffs almost every year you can. But um, especially when you are flirting with it, it's not like they were like, you know, six, seven games out. They were actually in the playoff race. Well, the real reason they got him was because they wanted in on that game fly money. That's what it is. They want the endorsements. <laughs> Are you talking about the thing that we, we rent games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing where he got the little jetpack in the commercial, but um, he's in like a bunch of different commercials. I mean, like he's a very he, he's a very marketable guy. Like if they did Space Jam too, it would have to be LeBron and then him for the choice of who it's going to be. I wonder how marketable he would be in Detroit. Ah. Uh, Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the East, and then it is the East, so you really do have more eyes on the product. Like, a lot of those teams on the West, even if they're good, like, Utah's better than Detroit, but, like, the East, for whatever reason, I guess it's just demographics, like, that's just always where the media is focused on. Well- a lot of it has to do, and somebody broke this down to me uh, pretty well when they were talking about the play, format change for the playoffs. The reason why, part of the reason why you don't want to do that, um, is because people are mostly, most of your viewers are on the East Coast. So if you start having the finals games at nine, ten o'clock, because they're on the West Coast, you know, Houston versus Golden State, that'll affect, that will affect revenue and viewership. So um, that's why you have more people. You know, most games are like, you know, 8 p.m. Eastern time, you know, or whatever, just because of the, the popularity and, and how many people you have there. Yeah. But uh, that's enough of uh, riding around on the tank. Let's talk about it. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not sure if our tax dollars were spent on this because I don't know if the FBI operates off tax dollars, but the guys that should have been stopping the national crisis the last three years, They've been probing Coach K and Roy Williams, Papa Smurf, and the Count. <laughs> they've been probing Sesame Street characters. But nah, they've been wiretapping high-profile NCAA basketball coaches. And uh, I just want to know, first of all, how do, how do you feel about that, spending time and money on that? Um, and I would. This is something I would have to read more into to get more facts. But it's not like Robert Mueller, the guy who's you know the special counsel for the the Russia probe, um, and the you know current um president. It's not like he's the one that's also investigating the NCAA. Like, there's different. Well, the way the probe went, he might have been doing it because he did it because the same quality job was done. <laughs> But the, there's there's different branches, right? So my, my yeah. thing is, you got an organization. I just don't feel like, oh, because it's not like all of the FBI's focuses can be on one thing. It can be multiple things. Um, and there's an argument to be made whether this should be one of them. Um, and that I don't really know how I feel about that. But I think saying that, oh, and I, I've seen people say it like almost serious. I think he was saying it a little bit more sarcastically. But I've seen some people pretty seriously say, like, look, you know, based on what happened like a couple of weeks ago, um, if y'all were, weren't so focused on, you know, trying to get people who paid for a meal and didn't get reimbursed, um, yeah, you know, we could have avoided certain situations. I think that's a little extreme. 
Um, I think people are smart enough to know that there's plenty of people who work with the FBI and there's different, they have different focuses and maybe one focus could be maybe not the NCAA, but, um, you know, businesses that are the NCAA and let's not act like, Oh, now all of a sudden, Oh, it's just the NCAA. It's just college basketball. First of all, it's not just college, college basketball. This could be into other sports like football and other um, sports in the NCAA, but the NCAA makes billions of dollars a year. It ain't like it's some small entity. That's a huge deal. So if there's some illegal foundings going on with that, you might want to investigate that. Um, well, so the only thing that would really be going on would be tax evasion. Um, where like uh, one of the guys in the report, Dennis Smith Jr. of the Mavericks received 75k to go play at NC State, and there, the one thing that they could like really try to get someone for is not paying taxes on those money. Right. That's the only. That's the only legitimate thing. Other than that, the only thing that can come from it is stripping away wins and firing coaches, and that's it. Right. Um. And, 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 you know, with this, this probe and one thing I want to get clear for the uh, for the viewers and the listeners out there um, with this NCAA probe by the FBI, the FBI didn't come out and have any sort of indictments or anything like that. This is a leak that was leaked um, by somebody, you know, a source from Yahoo Sports um, or Yahoo, whatever, um, wrote an article about it. And it's been something that's been leaked and it's not coming directly from the FBI. So a lot of this stuff is not. Um, you know, concrete and uh, it's not factual, but as fans of the NCAA, especially college basketball and college football, we're smart enough to know that stuff like this does go on, you know, so oh, um, so that, that's that's where that's coming from, so that was one thing that I going to read into it that I thought was interesting, I'm like, so it's not even like somebody is like, this is all guaranteed, it was just some dude, Christian Dawkins, who you know, has some fishy um, behaviors uh, to say the least, and he's, you know, had some spreadsheets saying, you know, oh, Dennis Smith Jr. got 75, 73K, you know, Isaiah Whitehead got 37K to go to Seton Hall, like, it's it, it no, there was no facts given, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, that was one thing I thought was interesting, but what do you think about the whole FBI probe into, in, in, uh, into college basketball? Well, I think the whole getting them for tax evasion thing, I do think they have merit for that. And if that's why they want to do it, then, you know, by all means, go ahead and do it. But my whole thing on it is, like, you know, that's not the part that really upsets me about it. Um, You know, I did say that sarcastically. I do know that they have different divisions. So this was probably, like, the part that do the division that more so works with the IRS and deals with tax evasion. But my whole thing is whenever people want to talk about the purity of the college game and amateurism, let me tell you about the purity of the (laughs) college game and amateurism. Dennis Smith Jr. reportedly, meaning he might have made more, might have made less. We don't know because as stated, everything's not concrete yet. But he would have made 75K playing for NC State for one year. Dallas Mavericks, he makes north of 3.2 mil. <laughs> BD, he's really, 
meaning they paid him over 40 times less than what he's worth. And you want to complain about that? And had he went to a better school for basketball other than NC State, he might have made more. So he might technically be worth more than that. I mean, shoot, if he went to Kentucky, he might have been riding around in Lambo. <laughs> you don't know. He might have been with Lonzo. But that's the part I don't get, especially whenever these guys generate millions and millions of dollars for the universities like Dennis Smith Jr., even though not the season they were hoping for whenever he came and whenever he was in the games, there was a genuine buzz about the program that had not been there even whenever right. they were good. Like, because they made the tournament the past two years, but there was no buzz about them. And like, they actually had like an NBA, well, they've had NBA level players recently, but like, this was like a standout player, like, lottery like a lottery level player. Haven't had that in forever. So it's just a buzz. You want to talk about guys selling tickets? He was selling tickets and jerseys for them. Probably the best they've done in basketball in years. And I know because I'm a Duke fan. So, like, I pay pretty close attention to what happens with NC State, Duke, Carolina, and sometimes Wake Forest. So I know, like, it's just a buzz about it. And then they beat Duke that year, like – like he's like a pseudo legend for NC State. So right. the money he's generating, Penn State, whenever they had that whole Sandusky scandal, there was debate about them getting death penalty. But it wasn't gonna happen. And it wasn't gonna happen. Not because that wasn't the way to go about it, because that wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't gonna happen because they produce six hundred million dollars of revenue in a 500 caliber level year. Like, that's their average. They make $600 million in that kind of year. Mm. So, the NCAA, it's about the money. And like any other business, because the NCAA is a business, the job of the employers is to undermine their employees. So, like a teacher, for example, the job they do is worth enough money to be a millionaire. Do they get paid like millionaire? No. They get paid like what? Starting entries like 40K a year? So, from, from what I've seen about, you know, the whole question, we'll get into it about arming teachers um, and people making jokes about, the, you know, you want teachers to be ninjas and, um, you know, uh, sociologists and psychologists and, Teachers, but you only paid them forty thousand a year. Apparently, some teachers ain't been doing that. Well, so, it varies state to state. I think in North Carolina, you you will be making less than forty is starting out. I want to say. I think Texas is like fifty something. You you still with me? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely see where, you, where you're coming from. Yeah, so I want to know what you think about some of these claims that have been made. Um, yeah, I I don't follow NCAA basketball as or NCAA sports as much, but um, from what I do know about it, there was nothing that I saw that I thought you know was like, oh, this is criminal. Like I think players are 
not equally compensated. I don't believe this whole you're getting a free education thing, because if you're there for one year, you're not getting a free education necessarily. And also, of course you're not. Kyrie thinks that the world is flat. <laughs> the boy ain't learned nothing, it do. Yeah, and um, uh, and when you're a top, you know, when you're a top school like a dude, like an NC, look at top. And I actually, you know, if I had to pick a school that I was, you know, I rock with between Duke and Chapel Hill, I would pick Chapel Hill. But Chapel Hill had a scandal themselves, uh, an academic scandal, because they were making up fake fake classes for dudes to get, um, you know, be academically eligible. Um, yeah, they, and they, the they weren't they used to get around it was it was available to all students. Yeah, but again, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but okay. <laughs> uh, and the funniest thing was, and we, you and I talked about the class. Actually, I was taking African American studies when that, uh, you know, broke when that leaked. So that was fun for class for us to talk about that. But my, my point in bringing that up is, you can't say you're prioritizing a, a quote unquote student athlete if you're doing stuff like that. If you're go, you're not putting academics first. So miss me with all the BS that they come up with about um, amateurism and, you know, you're getting a free education and all that stuff because that's not the priority um, when guys come there to play whatever sport there, there is, basketball and football especially. Um, I'm not going to judge Dennis Smith. I don't know what type of junior, uh, I don't know what type of, you know, background he came from. Maybe that's 73000 that you know, he got paid. He's right to take the money. He's yeah, right exactly. to take like, it. Yeah, um, so that was probably needed. Um, well, see, so. this is the way that I look at it. Let's say there's someone we know that goes to school with us or go to any school. They can go to Duke, they can go to Kentucky, they can go anywhere. And they play in the band, and they're on band scholarship. And for a job on the side to help support them throughout college, they play piano or play the trump. They play something at a local jazz bar or something like that and they get paid to do it. They're not taking those guys' scholarships. They're not hitting the band programs with sanctions. So it doesn't make sense. Have you heard about the cat from some school in Florida, football player? I want to say UCF, and he may have been some kind of kicker, punter or kicker. But he had a YouTube show, and he was making money off of it because, you know, YouTube, certain amount of views, you get paid. He may have got his right. fame on YouTube from being a football player, but that's not what all of his content was about. It took this man's scholarship, bro. This is like maybe two years story. ago. They took this man's scholarship. They said if he don't give the money, that's then he's violating their rules. They were requesting the money back from YouTube. <laughs> Cricket is that like yo? That's some mall type stuff. Like I'm about to come in. Like no, it's like <laughs> yo. Like they really went to him and said, "Yo, you've been taking money from the cookie jar. You time for you to pay what you owe." Like for real, from YouTube. That's crazy. Um, I actually did not hear about that story, but it, it, it um. Yeah, it, it just proves what I was saying about like don't don't feed me that BS. The NCAA is definitely corrupt. Um, you got guys like Lonzo Ball dry snitching saying that everybody's getting paid, <laughs> but then he had the nerve to say he was. Well, see, I, I could believe him not getting paid because one UCLA wasn't in the report, so 
that I could believe it. And a lot of it's coming from shoe companies. And as you can tell, they weren't dealing with them. So it is very likely that he was not getting paid. Yeah, those are fair points. And that's my point in saying that even if that's the case, why are you talking about whatever? Right, dry snitching. You're right, though. He was dry snitching. Yeah, so. You know, I don't think I, there's a good chance that he maybe he yeah, wasn't. As long he don't be, but Angelo, he, gotta, he can stay in L.A. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's how I feel about it, man. I thought it was you know crazy, and then you got the NCAA president Mark Emmerich coming out and acting like he didn't know stuff like this is going on. Weasel. Like, so, yeah. what do you think can be done to fix this? I almost think there's nothing you can do to fix it um, because even if I feel like even if you do pay the players, right. Um, and you figure out a system to where whether guys are getting paid equally or you get paid off of, you know, what school you go to, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, depending on the system that comes about and that's created, if you have a, a team like a school like Duke, um, and you're trying to make it level, cause that's what they want to do. They make it, they want to make everything level. They want to make, you know, give everybody equal opportunity to get players and be successful. Um, let's just say they made it so that players get played, uh, but they're getting paid by agents or they're getting paid by school or what have you. Schools like Duke and Alabama for football and stuff like that, those blue chip uh, or blue blood schools are going to have the opportunity to pay those players a lot more than you would, you know, any these lesser known schools. Um, these mid-majors and whatnot. Um, so I feel like that is going to make it difficult for you to actually have it to where this never occurs. Um, but I do think you can limit it. I mean, you, you can. There's a way to make it not as uh, egregious to where guys are getting, quote-unquote, $100,000 <laughs> from Arizona. <laughs> I mean, um, it's the desert, bro. So they got to pay to go out there. Arizona's a fun school. <laughs> I don't know if you could pay me enough to go out to Arizona, well, but <laughs> here's my rebuttal. Um, so you said blue blood team, so Duke, Carolina, Kentucky. Let's take a let's take a team nobody knows. Let let's take North Texas. Do you think <laughs> North Texas has a better shot competing with those teams if? There was no financial reasons involved, meaning you be picking schools based on the coaching prestige or North Texas, you don't know and who's the coach. Or you could go play for rich teams like like teams rich, rich teams rich in prestige like Duke with Coach K, who coaches USA basketball, or teams like Kentucky with rich history that have guys that coached in the NBA, like Coach Cal, even though he wasn't successful, he was in the NBA, and who has a lot of players in the NBA, has a lot of all-stars in the NBA, or would you go to North Texas that has no Paying them, I feel, would help some, because if North Texas has boosters that are willing to pay certain players, then those players would feel more inclined to go to schools like that, especially if they were one and done. And I'm pretty sure this has been happening as far as, like, you know, paying players to go to lesser schools because I don't know how Markel Fultz ended up at Washington and Ben Simmons at LSU. 
<laughs> but that's my rebuttal. But the way that I would fix it, eliminate the draft. It won't fix football because the NFL is happy with their current minor league system, which is the NFL. But with this whole probe, you know who was the hottest chef in the kitchen? Adam Silver, because whenever they're throwing these out here, the only time they're saying this guy played at this school, like the only time that makes the headline is whenever that guy still plays for that school. Whenever they were talking about Dennis Smith Jr., they said Dallas Mavericks guard Dennis Smith Jr. And they've already been investing in their own minor league system. So the way to fix this, for basketball at least, is to eliminate the draft and go into doing it like how soccer does. So for people who don't know, let me tell you how soccer does. Let's say you, Deshaun Bam Bam Little. Say (laughs) you're in England and you're a soccer phenom, right? Like your next big thing. Right. Manchester United, Liverpool, Age of 15, 13, these teams are going to come to you and say, we want you to play our youth academy where all you have to focus on is playing soccer and getting better. And when you turn of age, we're going to sign you to a deal and you can play on this team until we're ready to move you up to the big team and you'll be making money. So you, as a person, get the freedom to choose where you want to work, which makes sense compared to the draft. And... So that's the way it would be done. So Marvin Bagley Jr., instead of instead of going to Duke for one year, two years ago, he'd have joined the NBA Academy, then he'd assigned to whoever he wanted, whether it be Lakers, Rockets, whoever. That's how he'd do it. And one of the main arguments I hear against that is that it'll be like soccer, where only the rich teams matter. Manchester right. does not win the does not win the Premier League every year. So, like you know, sometimes Manchester City will win it over Manchester United. Sometimes Liverpool will win. Sometimes Chelsea will win. Now, some people say, "Well, what about in Spain? In Spain, Barcelona and Madrid is a two-headed dragon. One of those teams is going to win." Well, right now in the NBA, who's going to win? One of two teams, maybe three. So, <laughs> well, that's what most people say. I'm, I'm, I'm of the minority that thinks the Warriors will not win it. But I got yeah, so point. it's like it's like that anyway, and it's a system that's supposed to be built to build parity, but it has just as much parity as the exact opposite. So, that's just my thoughts. I think that eliminating the draft, which Charles Barkley, yeah, Charles Barkley made a great point on first take a couple weeks ago. He said, in America, if you're the best doctor, you can go work at any hospital you want to work. But if I'm the best player in the world, LeBron James, and I got to stay at home and play in Cleveland, I might want to go to L.A. <laughs> like, come on, man, don't make no sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard that clip, and I, I totally agree um, with that premise, and that's kind of where I was like, you know, maybe we should think about getting rid of the draft um, for reasons like that. And I think you'll have a you'll be surprised, similar to the NCAA, to where, you know, the Warriors not going to have too many high level talents go to the Warriors. You know what I'm saying? There's there's not too many Kevin Durant's out there that just want to play for the best team. Cough cough. But um, 
you'll have some guys like Amarco Fultz who wouldn't mind going to, you know, like a, you know, I can't think of a team Sacramento. right now, but insert team that needed a point guard that was pretty good, but was like one guy away from really doing, you know, being a contender in the in the league. Um, You'd be surprised how many of those players actually, because he went to Washington, like you said, he went to Washington. So who's who's to say he wasn't going? Yeah, he, huh? yeah, he was trying to carve his own path. Exactly. Um, um, what's his guy? Michael Carter, uh, Michael Porter Jr. Um, who's hurt and he went to Missouri. I think he went to for like family reasons. But who's to say? You know, he he's talking about staying there longer he, than one year, yeah, uh, even before he got hurt. Getting job there. I think his dad got a job there. Yeah, they did, which again is a little sketchy in itself. Oh, there ain't but, no sketchy. This is um, downright dirty. <laughs> you know what they did. <laughs> but um he was talking about how he wants to be there um longer than a year and create his own legacy. So, you know, you'll you'll have those guys that will do that. But then you also have your guys who just want to play with LeBron. I low key would be probably oh, one of those players. <laughs> you, know, you get paid um, worth more than what you're worth. You get to just like sit in the corner, bust threes. Like the only thing you gotta do is try and play defense, show up to practice, so that, that way you don't get chewed out. Like K Love. Yeah, so yeah, I, there's something to that. I definitely think that that you know that's something that the NBA maybe, especially under Adam Silver, we've seen that he's willing to change things up. Um, I think the one and done rule is his lifespan is coming to Thank an God. end. Thank God, college and, basketball. Yeah, but that's the NBA. And one thing that Stan Van Gundy mentioned, um, he he made it seem like the, the one and done is a college basketball thing. It's actually yeah. an NBA thing. Um, well, actually, that's the on the players' union because um, I heard Nick Wright made made a very valid point about this because this is something that the union agreed on with the owners, and it's because like, what's the purpose of a union? Job security and to protect the union members. So. One of those things about job security, you want to keep younger guys out to keep older guys in for as long as possible. And that's that is one of the main reasons why the one and done is in place. Yeah, there's something to that. And there's also, um, you know, it's easier for GMs to, you know, on the, on the, on the you know, you, you mentioned the player side for the owners and, and the league side. It's easier for GMs and scouts to scout talent. Um, once they've had a, a chance to play against talent of equal, if not better value, um, rather than the high school, you probably, you're probably playing a bunch of scrubs or in the AAU, you're playing with the best players on your team or whatnot. So um, in college, it gives you an, a, a better idea of how good a guy is, um, actually, rather than in high school. It limits the amount of bust you have. Right. Get a better view so, of bust potential. I, yeah. So I, I'm I'm kind of with on that on that you know side of things that I'm I'm fine with not coming out of high school because there hasn't been you know you can count on your hand how many guys that came out of high school are actually successful um, you know the Kevin uh, the Kevin Garnett's the Kobe Bryant's the LeBron's. Well, hold on now, they didn't have um, steroid chicken back then. Now they pumping all kinds of HGH <laughs> into this food. So look at the guys who were one and done because those guys would have been high school. So KD would have been one of those guys, guys like KD. And, you know, like, even if they did bring the rule back, like, you're still going to have, like, your Steph Curry's guys that go under the radar and just light it up 
and make a name for themselves yeah. and just improve yeah. over time. Yeah, your Dame Lillard. Oh, yeah, too. yeah, dude. We were state. I didn't even really know how to say that whenever I first saw where he was from. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, with the that policy and the probing and everything like that uh, kind of leads us to the next topic. Um, and what, what was that that you wanted to discuss? So, yeah, we were talking about – so we just been talking about the dirtiest of the dirty and the most corrupt of the, of, of the corrupt. So let's just get down to it. Is Zaza the dirtiest player in the game? Is he dirty at all? I don't – I, he's definitely dirty, factual. That's not even a, yeah. He 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 dirty dirty. He about it about it. Well, he ain't about it about it. I think he's soft, but he's dirty. Um, you know, and basically what we're talking about is that the play where, you know, a couple a couple nights ago where he fell on top of Russ and it looked like he was in slow motion. <laughs> like yes, there's an angle to where you can see Nick Young. So it was three guys. It was Russ, Nick Young, and Zaza. And you can see that Nick Young's legs did get tripped up and kind of pulled Zaza. No, bro. He but as a guy who's been he in karate, huh? Like, if anything, he, he kicked, kicked him. him. He didn't pull him with that much force to make that guy fall over. Exactly. Zaza Pachulia is almost 300 pounds um, in an NBA athlete. People say, oh, he's clumsy. He's an NBA athlete. He ain't that clumsy. I'm not that too, clumsy. Like... He knows how to fall. You know, exactly. He knows how to fall. So, um, you know, there was an ankle to where Nick Young, like I said, his leg did touch Zaza's, and it may have caused Zaza to trip at the most. There was no, no reason for Zaza to fall the way he did. And I, like I mentioned, he only fell on Russ. He did not fall on top of Nick Young. Um, and the way that the ankle was set up, it's weird he didn't touch Nick. Exactly. But do I think that he went down there like, oh, I'm going to hurt Russ? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I can't prove that, but I I can prove that he didn't have to fall the way he did. That I can prove, uh, and that was that was my only argument with it. So that's why I think that he's dirty, and it's not his first instance. You know what I'm saying? He's had other instances where he's done stuff, even to Russ, uh, Russ, where you know Russ was on the using a pick, Zaza, um, switched on the pick, and instead of like just playing defense, he put his hands in his space, like made Russ hit his face with. He was called, and then after he was called for the foul, he stood over him, um, which only adds to the fact that I think that what he did on a, a couple nights ago was intentional. So, um, do I think he's the dirtiest player in the NBA? Uh, I don't. It's hard to be the dirtiest player in the NBA the way the rules are now. Um, so, I used to think Stephen Adams was dirty. Um, you can make an argument that Draymond Green is, is sketchy and dirty. Um, but I don't really know who's the dirtiest player in the NBA. There was a poll out a couple of years ago recently, and he did not make the top five. And this is by players and, and coaches, and he did not make the top five dirtiest players. So um, there is that. But, no, I, I, he, he's definitely a dirty player, and he did that on purpose. So, yeah, I think he's definitely a dirty player, and he did it on purpose. So let's put this into perspective. If Nick Young could really do that to him – we're not calling him Swaggy P no more. We're calling him the human calf because all he does all day and all night is calf raises. If he's like for <laughs> real, he's the human calf. He's half cow. He's half baby cow if he could do that. Like for real, dog. <laughs> Ain't no way it's happening. But it's like I told you the other day. 
I, you know, we talk, you're not a wrestling fan. And one of the things, not the main thing, but one of the things you don't like about it is it being fake. And one of the things that adds to it not being fake is whenever you do flippy, choreographed, dance spot looking moves. And that's actually a Rey Mysterio kind of move. If you see Brock Lesnar get taken down by, like, if you see Brock Lesnar, a guy who's about the weight of Zaza Pachulia, not the same build, because he, you know, same weight. You see him get taken by someone that small down by a move like that, you know what you're going to do if you're watching Raw that night. You're going to say BS, and you're going to turn the channel, and you're going to watch basketball, or you're going to watch Monday Night Football. That's what's going to happen. What about what about Ronda Rousey throwing Undertaker through a table? It was Triple H, but that's very far-fetched. Oh, Triple H. It's very far-fetched. <laughs> well, that that that, pro- that proves my your whole I don't watch wrestling point. <laughs> but see, she's mainstream, though. But, you know. But yeah, I, I I get your point. Yeah, that's it, it. Just doesn't add up. Like, and I was trying to tell my coworkers at the time. Like, look, I did karate for you know almost ten years. I've had to sweep people who were supposed to fall. <laughs> Their whole like it wasn't like I was like you know trying to sweep them off their feet. Literally, the whole point was that we were doing a demonstration and they were supposed to fall. But if I did not sweep their leg with enough force, especially if they were bigger than me, they would not move. You know. Um, Hold on now. Nick Young may be the dirtiest player in the game, man. Oh, Maybe man. he was doing it <laughs> intentionally with enough force. Nah, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't give him enough credit for nah, that. Nah, that didn't happen. But uh, with that being said, who did – so, like, Steven Jackson used to play for Spurs Pacers, was talking about differences between an intimidator – and a dirty player. He said dirty players are guys that they, like Zaza, don't have any skill, really. They're not that good, and they're just out there trying to hurt people. Whereas an intimidator is actually a tough guy who can actually play and do stuff on the court. In your eyes, in any sport, who is the dirtiest or the toughest player across anything? So you can pick dirtiest or you can pick the toughest player. That's a tough one. Um, I'm, I, why don't you start it off? Cause I got oh, it. well, look. I ain't, whenever I thought about this, I thought for two seconds. I can't say his name. What is it? Akib Talib? Oh, yeah. Uh, Broncos? Snatching yeah. man chain off in a football game? <laughs> Twice. Twice. Knowing what was going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> hands down my pick. Now, if I had to, yeah, <laughs> hands down my pick. Now, if I had to pick, if I had to pick dirtiest player, um, I'm gonna go with the Nature Boy just because you know he's that guy in North Carolina Connect. Shout out to him being in Twenty One Savage latest video, Ric Flair drip. Hey, yeah, so if I had to pick dirtiest, it'd be Ric Flair just because you know that's that's one of his nicknames. First, he's the Nature Boy, then he's the dirtiest player in the game. Well, dirtiest player off the top of my head, I'm going with Bruce Bowen, former uh, San Antonio Spurs. Oh, um, I see. Yeah, he he was definitely dirty. This dude, literally, he was. So I forget who it was, who he's guarding, who was the, the the shot was taken by, but there was a point in his career where he thought 
in order to defend a, a shot from the three-point line, and he was closing out, instead of using his hands, he used his feet and kicked the dude in the face. Um, Wait a minute, what? Yeah. He's out there playing, like, ninja, for real, for real. Exactly. And this dude, like, jumped sidekick somebody in the face and tried to say, pretend like he didn't do it on, on purpose. He's known for what as I did last year, which was stepping under somebody while after they shoot, so they land on your foot and twist their ankle or worse. Um, he's known for doing that. He did it to Kobe a lot, Vince Carter all the time. Um, he did it to everybody, and it's no secret. He was a dirty player. He tried to make excuses for it, but you know, he's dirty. Um, the toughest player. I don't I don't I can't think of one off the top of my head. But there's a couple guys. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of a difference between a tough guy and an enforcer. Because you could have a guy like, to me, Steve Nash. He was a tough guy. He, was, he wasn't no – or even Kobe Bryant or, or, or AI. These, those guys were tough guys, but they weren't necessarily the enforcers on their teams. Um, so it's, it's different ways you can go about it. But I'll use the, those guys as an example. Guys who played through, you know, really significant injuries – um, didn't make excuses, rarely was out unless it was like something, you know, really, really um, dangerous to play with. So you're um, on Cal Ripken then? May, yeah, maybe because he played, you know, so many consecutive games. Or even uh, Elon Manning or Peyton Manning, you know, or Brett Favre. Brett Favre is probably my, yeah, Brett Favre. That, yeah, yeah, boy, that boy is Wrangler tough, boy. He tough as Wrangler genius. <laughs> or even even uh what's his name Philip Rivers this guy played on an ACL or torn ACL yeah man like I think he's probably like man I hate it for poor Phil poor poor Phil he he was just in the league at the wrong time yep and on the wrong team wrong team wrong time could have could have been on the Giants if it wasn't for uh the Mannings yeah almost happened but hey worked out for you I reckon. Yep, <laughs> I'm not complaining. So, um, you know, we've been talking about all this corruption and just vile acts. So, and and we also talked some about cleaning some of those things up. And um, we recently had a real tragedy happen um in Florida over the past week. And um, you know, first off, thoughts and prayers. Definitely go out to um, everyone who was affected by the shooting, both directly and indirectly, you know, may have had a family member or very close friend um, be injured or something like that in the shooting. But, um, you know, faiths without works doesn't amount to anything. So we can have them in our thoughts and prayers, but we also need to be thinking about what we're going to do to learn from this so that we can move forward and this not be an issue moving forward because a child going to school, a teacher going to work, that's what they should be focusing on. They shouldn't be fearing for their safety. So um, let's touch some on the Florida shooting and just things going forward with the um, politics in play. Right. And, you know, before we even get started on that, and I, I agree with everything you said thus far, um, but I do want to let the, let the listeners know that we, you know, we chose not to talk about this too much uh, when it first happened, because it happened on Valentine's Day, um, which I think was a Wednesday. Right. And we chose not to talk about it, probably because 
at least for me, it, it's just such a, uh, it was such a, you know, tragedy. Um, and personally, I didn't want to talk about it unless we had something uh, of, like you said, of merit to bring to the table to where we can actually put something together to actually make make a change. Um, I didn't think that, at least for me, there was much I can contribute that would have made things different. You know what I'm saying? So the reason why we're bringing it up now is because there's a lot of conversation about, you know, gun control and lack thereof and what we should do differently and everything like that. And the president is getting involved and wants a new gun bill and whatnot. Um, You know, there's a lot of extremists on both sides of it either way. Um, And I think there's a lot of crazy things that's been said about what we should do that I'm like, no, we, we should definitely not do that. So um, what were some of the things that you heard and suggest um, moving forward? Well, um, it's, well, not something that they're talking about going forward, but something I see going forward, which I think is a problem with the shootings when they go the other way. Whenever someone's unjustly killed by a cop, My my father was military, so and I view police I view police officers as domestic soldiers. So I have a lot of respect for police soldiers because I mean for police officers because like you have a man, sheriff, deputy sheriff, um detective, he leaves out in the morning, has breakfast with his child and his wife, and like every single day it's a gamble as to whether or not they'll see him at the end of the day. So I have a lot of respect for them. Um, But that being said, I think there are a lot of people who hold that position that should not be in that position. And I think where we was talking about on the shootings, I think that's where some of that comes into play. People who say they fear for their lives, but they don't, they've never been in a fight never been hit in the face, you just getting beat up. You you don't know what it means to fear for your life. So I think we got some people, but so let me be clear. I do respect police officers and the job that they do, but I do think we got some people in the wrong career there. And how that relates to this is that there's a resource deputy on campus for the entire event, like in the school with a gun. Not sure as to what kind of gun he had, but he was in school with a gun. And from what I'm reading, he didn't make contact with the shooter once. Apparently didn't even attempt to. Yes. And then there were reported to be multiple deputies, multiple deputy sheriffs outside. Who I'm not saying they had the call to go in. And I don't know their procedures, you know, state to state laws are different. But from what news outlets are letting out and what the victims and just the students and teachers involved in school letting out, it was time for them to go in. And they they did not go in. They said, we're going to wait for this uh, SWAT team. So, I mean, like to me, being a police officer is like being a soldier. You make that oath, you put your life on the line. And yeah. Maybe that guy's thinking he's just going there to stop 10th graders from beating each other up, but you got to understand from start to finish what could happen. You know, like my father, he was in National Guard. Me growing up, 
I didn't think he was doing much. He went to Iraq twice. I didn't think he was doing much. They had him going on escort missions and kicking in doors. So you got to be ready for what you sign up for and understand that. And I think to 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 me personally, I think that's one of the biggest things besides actual gun control that we need to change. Yeah, um, I'm totally in agreeing with that. I definitely respect people who decide to risk their lives for others and for their for their country, whether it be soldiers, whether it be police officers, whether it be firefighters, people in that service and in, in those industries, so to speak. Um, I respect them because, you know, there's there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into that. You you made a great point about something as simple as, you know, seeing your family in the morning and kissing them goodbye. You never know that could, that could be a last time. So um, I definitely feel that way as well. Um, you know, I don't have any direct, I have a couple of close family members who work in prison system and corrections officers and stuff. I've had a few people who I were close to at one point that I knew were cops and stuff. Um, I think the dangerous thing about those fields is that you have some people and you mentioned that people who you say are in the wrong industry, they do it for the benefits and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? And that, that's a step for an industry in a field like that. That's the totally wrong reason to do something. If you right. don't want to do it, if you don't want to do it to better yourself and to, like I said, defend your country, protect your country, protect your neighborhood, whatever, then or help save lives. And like I said, the firefighters, then that's not you shouldn't think about doing that. Um, so that's where I think that gets to the play. Now I'm not accusing that of being, you know, what was going on with the officer at that school in, uh, in, in Florida, but just in general, I think that's where we could get in trouble. Um, so yeah, I, that's pretty much where I want to leave. But if we're going to talk, you know, shift towards for making a change in, in, in gun control and, stuff like that. I've seen people say we should be arming teachers. Uh, no. Yeah, no. Let's, we, we're not going to do that. Um, that, to me, makes absolutely no sense um, for a, a number of reasons. Reasons that I f- feel like I shouldn't even have to explain because I feel like it's common sense. But uh, I don't think you want as many times as you've seen teachers do questionable things, I don't think you want to have a weapon like that handy uh, for the you know, for the uh, off chance that you'll have some crazy kid or person or anybody going to that school, you know, trying to shoot up the place. Because now, now you, you're putting the guns. Just looking back at my middle school, I know I ain't want my history teacher to be armed when no when no Glock 9 or nothing like that. Just for the off chance of somebody coming there doing something crazy. No, that's not. We don't need that. Um I've seen people say, we, you know, officials, government, uh, government officials say we need to have more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? This, uh, security uh, measurements as far as like the uh, metal detectors, um, more bulletproof vests and all this. Other stuff. So like, how about we just limit who we actually let get guns legally? Now, people want to say, oh, well, you know, that's not going to stop people from getting guns. You know, Donald Trump thought that the guy who bought the, the kid who, who did the shooting bought that AR-15 on the black market when he actually bought it um, legally. Um, I don't know if it was from, I think it was from Dick's Sporting Goods or, or Walmart. I'm not sure which one, but he bought that gun legally. Um, 
and he was only what 19 years old like why why is that okay why do you need an AR what do you need an AR15 for I, I, I if you want to have a Glock 9 if you want to have some type of pistol you know to protect yourself cool I'm not you know I'm, I'm born and raised in New Jersey so I'm not used to people really having guns legally like that but hey you know if that's what y'all want to do fine but what do you need an AR15 for I think the most a shotgun I think at the most but an assault rifle like that semi-automatics no I don't think that's necessary. You don't need to be Rambo. Nah, nah there's no, uh, no kill bill needed, really. Um, but you know, as far as here's my thing with the arming teachers, I'm not a hundred percent against it. I think certain individuals that, like me, if I were going to do it and pass the law, there's a lot of things that would change with. So if I were the president and I were going to make that happen, it'd be certain it, it, it would be certain individuals. And you would have to open yourself up to essentially losing some of your freedoms because we have to know that you're suited to do this, which that's something you take, which that's your choice. If, and like, you know, if you choose to give up some of the rights of your privacy, then that's on you. But and like I would have them reviewed throughout the year, but four big inspections throughout the course of every year. So the quarter of every year, you get big inspection check, make sure you're not plotting anything crazy because there are a lot of people you don't want to have guns. But I do feel like this is something that in the right hands, if you if you regulate it right, it could work, which a lot of people might not agree with what I'm saying of how I'm saying it, because a lot of people don't like socialism, which that's what that would be. It'd be like a socialistic thing, but I think it would work, but you would have to pay teachers so much more money, so much more money, which is why it wouldn't end up happening, because you'd have to pay them so much more money because you can't ask somebody to fight for their life and somebody else's life and teach them the multiplication tables at the same time. You you, you can't do it. <laughs> so even though I think it could work and be beneficial if done right, and like, you know, with everything, there's bound to be something slipped through the cracks, but you'd have to, but the way I'm suggesting, you would monitor it very heavily, which a lot of Americans, they view that as communism, which it low-key is, but Hey, it is what it is. My my thing with it is that so many things it sounds it sounds really good in theory, but there's so many things that can go wrong with it. There's a yeah, lot right. of teachers that you don't want guns, don't having guns, or elder teachers. And if you know, um, um, and I don't want to sound sexist or anything like that, but you have a lot of. Let's just say you're you're younger. You know, when you're younger and you are in school, you tend to have a lot of women who are in uh, teaching those classes. Now, I don't know about you, but I could think of a lot of women in my life that don't want to have a gun while they teach in class. Man or woman, really. Well, but, well, see, my thing about it is you can't make somebody do that. That's, that's straight up wrong. Like, to be a gun-carrying citizen who brings your gun to work, like, mandating it, no, that's wrong. You can't yeah. do that. Well, but it, and let's just say you want to, like, make it an option. So if a teacher wants to do that, cool. Um... 
I think the only time that I feel like it may be okay is if you have a guy. I've, I had a teacher in seventh grade who had a background in the military. military. Um, he went to um, overseas and stuff like that. I would be more okay with him doing it. You know, I'll, I'll be willing to listen to it more if a guy like him or a person like him. Those are the kind of individuals I were talking about. Very, yeah. I mean, like, like it'd be very limited. But even then, it'd be have to be very tightly monitored because everybody's not okay after they finish tours of duty. Exactly. PS, PTSD is a real thing. Um, and and that, that's kind of where I was going to go with it, one. And then two, I was seeing him interact with us in seventh grade, and he could barely handle us. <laughs> you know, he was, a little, <laughs> he was a little bit of a pushover. And um, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable or maybe he would. Maybe would have behaved better. I guess I don't know if we knew that he had a clock nine in the in the, in, the, uh, in his dresser or on his hip. I don't know, but I, something I was really trying to find out. So that's I, I, that's my two two cents on it. Donald Trump is is a is a clown for even saying that. You know, if that was him, even if he, he didn't have a weapon, huh? He said he just shot the hell out of him, didn't he? Oh, I didn't hear that quote. For what I heard, he was like, "Oh, even if I didn't have a weapon, I would have went in there and did something and confronted the guy." Okay, Donald. <laughs> if that's the case, if you would have did it without no weapons, then I guess we don't need guns to protect ourselves. Apparently. <laughs> Ran up in there. He he this dude, he might have walked in there, but but he won't run him, bro. He wasn't he wasn't walking in either. He just dude has <laughs> avoided being drafted by the military multiple times. He he, he ain't about that. Yeah. What? Who is he really kidding? Not. Who is he kidding? So he's really not. He's wrong yeah. for that. He and the thing about that that makes me upset is that he's turning it into something about him, and it's not. It's not about you. And you don't politicize everything. Like just sometimes you gotta let things like let like we forget that will real humans were affected by this people were affected by this whether they lost their lives they lost loved ones or you had to go to school the next couple of weeks like imagine i, I can't even i i, I, I think right now like, they're on a schedule where they might start school at 7 45 and get out at 11 40 that's the last thing i read and that's and that was of yesterday from fox in News. the morning mm-hmm I knew they went back to school, but I didn't know they had a schedule like that. What are you? What are you getting done at that time? They are open to doing a schedule like that, and they they are letting out early. I don't know how early, but they are open to letting kids out at eleven forty. But it's a tough time, and you know, state regulations. They got stuff they got to get done. But man, something like that happened. I just don't know. Yeah, so it's 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 hard for me to imagine of being being a student. You know, whether it was losing a friend or even if you didn't lose anybody that you may have been close to, just just like how do you losing the kid that sits diagonally three seats away from you in math class? Like to know that that person is just not going to be there anymore because of somebody's sick actions that happened that, at that, that school. Been you that could have been you, and it happened at that school no less. And it was different. Like it feels like. Oh yeah, I know somebody that went to class and uh, you know over the weekend they passed away for whatever reason. No, this happened at the school, dog. Like that's, I, I, that's why we, you know, we say thoughts and prayers, and we, we, it's important that we do make, um, changes because there's no denying that changes need to be made, um, to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore. Um, whether at school, whether in daily life, this, this needs to stop. 
Yeah. Um, speaking of changes that are being made, um, just last little notes. Um, I would also say beef up security, have more than one deputy sheriff, especially for a school that has three floors. Um, and also it goes without saying gun control needs to be almost overhauled here in America. But, um, just what they're planning to do going forward. Um, Fox News reported that the governor said that there's a three-part plan being being conceptualized right now where um, the three parts would be, it'd be on a $500 million budget where first they would focus on keeping guns out of the wrong hands, meaning people who are threats, people who may be mentally ill, suffer from certain diseases and also high-risk individuals. Um, the second part would be donating more money to school safety. So like I mentioned earlier, getting better security. Also, like you said, more metal detectors, um, better way of identifying these things before they happen. And also donating a large portion of that money, the $500 million budget, to individuals affected by mental illness. So that would include research, also actively trying to diagnose people that may have these mental illnesses or that may be high risk, and also researching and also executing treatment for those individuals. That's the three-part plan that he discussed a couple of days ago, actually. Mm. Which I think that steps in the right direction. Yeah, um, you know, we'll we'll see how that all turns out. Um, but you know, speaking of gun control and things of that nature, um, Got your boy, my boy G Herbo, man, formerly known as Lil Herb, um. The listeners may know him from a song he had with Nicki Minaj a couple of years ago called Chirac. Um, you know, she she jumped on a remix. It was actually not the original. She jumped on a remix and, you know, made it more popular, which happens with, you know, different stars. That was his first single. Um, if you don't listen, if you're not too familiar with the Chicago, um, quote unquote, drill scene, you know, with the Chief Keefs and the... The uh, I can't think of anybody enough, you know, uh, and the Santanas, yeah, Santanas, rest in peace. Um, Dang. you may not know who G Herbo is, he's not the most popular guy, but you know, he's a young kid, he's just turned 22. Um, he recently uh is engaged to his fiance, uh, long time girlfriend. Um, I say long time, his kid's young, but he's had a girlfriend for a couple of years. They she was pregnant recently, she just had a baby shower. And they will be getting married supposedly uh, within this year. Um, the, the reason why we're bringing him up in gun control is that he's from Chicago, 22 years old, recently got arrested um, and caught with loaded weapons in his car, loaded guns. Um, three, Him and uh, two other his friends ran around Chicago, you know, and it was actually uh reported because a limo driver quote unquote it was really just like a car service uh because they were in the suv um called the cops and told them that he saw guys with guns putting them in their book bags putting them in the back of the back of the car well, seats I think and, a limo driver from another vehicle 
Ah, yeah. Well, from what I, what I, the resources that I got say that the the guy that was actually driving saw it is is an eyewitness to seeing that they were like packing guns. Like her, one of his friends was in the front seat. When you know, him, G Herbo, and uh, another guy was in the back seat, and they were like, you know, packing or whatever. But the thing with that was, I'm like, yo, you got to be smarter than that, man. It, it sucks because the reason why I like him, uh, besides his music, you know, he had a really good album that came out this a uh, couple months ago. Um, I thought that he was one of the young ones that didn't want to just be a, a statistic and just fall um, fall victim of the, you know growing up in that area i thought he was you know seriously trying to get out and he went he, you know he moved out of chicago um and i thought he was really trying to change his life around now one thing that, that's important to note he has never been arrested he has no prior um involvement with the law so he has a clean record prior to, to to this time but it just sucks that he you know got caught with that and he was doing that and that he did it at this time man you know your your girlfriend is She's showing a lot, so I feel like she you must be like between seven and nine months pregnant, um, and had to go through that by herself. And they're supposed to be getting married soon. Um, it, you know, like I said, you had a great album that came out. Um, it, it just sucks that he was still victim to stuff like that. What do you What are your thoughts on it? Well, um, I don't really. I know who he is, but I don't listen to him like you do. So I've heard him rap, and you know, he ain't the killer bees, but. Think him and Montana three hundred. That's like the bar for Chicago rap right now. But uh, you know, he, you know he's nice. He can spit. But uh, I don't really know a lot about his backstory. Can you tell me about that? Like uh, how he was coming up. Like was he involved well, in criminal stuff coming up? I know you say his record was clean. Did he just not yeah. get caught? Yeah, so he, his record was clean, but of course, him, his his record being clean and what he raps about is two different things. He talks about the same thing that your typical Chirac <laughs> rapper would would be, would be talking about. He is he's really close to Lil Bibby, um, right. who's also another guy that I feel like is you know he's like somebody that friend. yeah yeah that that was talking about even going back to school and going to college at one point. Like they're you know they at one point you know they talk about stuff and you know he Bibby got like this free crack. DVD, I mean, in mixtape series or whatever, but he, I think they, for the most part, got a good head on their shoulders. That's why I was so disappointed when this took place. But I can't speak too much about him growing up, just because I'm, I, I don't, I don't really get familiar with guys until they get a little buzz. Um, so I didn't find out about him until the Chirac song came out, and then I followed him from there, and um, and that was a couple of years ago. But I know he's young. He's really young. He was 16 when that song came out. He's 22 now. Um, and I do know that he, he he claims the gangbang, but he's not like in typical Crips and Bloods. He's in like the, um, you know the oh, what's the word I'm looking for? That's a, what's that big in uh Chicago? I think it's like Gangster Disciples and Vice Lords of that way. Yeah, exactly. He's like Gangster Disciples or uh, what's the GD? Um, it's another one. Um, no, Vice Lord. That's that's what I want to say. I heard that is those two gangs in particular. But uh, yeah, was, but I asked because like I didn't really know. But like you know, even just being from around there, just like be like like Chicago's murder capital right now in America. So I mean, it's like I mean, like they went well, they went like double digit. They went double digit days without a homicide. 
not too long ago and like that was a big deal so it's like murder capital of america right now so like i'm not saying he did gangbang or whatever but like you know you're trying to grow up grow and come up in the music industry in Chirac. Like, you know, you're just going to have enemies. You're going to have haters. And I don't know. Like, I just feel like, like, you know, there was a reason why he had the guns. You feel what I'm saying? Like, he didn't have yeah. them. To have them. There's a reason he had them. And like, and, and, you can go ahead. And the, the, the crazy thing about it, and I, he was on uh, Everyday Struggle recently, a couple months ago, with uh, DJ Academics and Joe Button, back when Joe Button was still on there. And he was real cool, you know, you know, playing around, whatever. He's, he's familiar with those guys. And he was talking about how he can't really go back to Chicago too often. That's part of the reason why he left, because he, he, he made it known that there are literally people out there, the ops, so to speak, that are trying to kill him. The opposition. Um, uh, yeah. And um, I thought that was crazy. So, I mean, obviously, if you got family still in that area, you're going to go back every now and then. But I think them – Having those loaded weapons, I don't think it was a defensive thing. It doesn't sound like it was a very, like, this is for protection. It sounds like they was out on a mission, honestly. Um, well, they might have been. They might have the crazy part. Yeah, so, yeah, like, all I was going to say, like, you know, just get, you know, just getting away from a certain type of life, certain situations, like, sometimes that's the best thing and if he had to be around him I don't know he might not have felt safe so that's why he might have had the guns but from what I read that was that was that was reported by the Chicago Tribune was um it made me think that these guys were not bad guys like cuz as you noted G Herbo he's like marrying his longtime girlfriend and trying to be a father to his baby and um the other two guys um one was Devontae Royal Kimball. He's a producer. Um, didn't really give too much background on him. He didn't give a statement, but they found him sitting on top of a gun. Um, G Herbo, as you mentioned earlier, they found him hiding a Fabric National loaded with one round in the chamber and 30 in the mag with rounds designed to pierce body armor. So I see why you say they were on a mission. Round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pierce body armor. That's crazy, bro. Well, um, but like I said, he's trying to be father and 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 a husband. Like you know, he's trying to you know be somebody. You know, and then the third gentleman, uh, Marcello Walton. They found him in the front seat with a gym bag that had a fully loaded pistol. And he's a Morehouse grad and an active father. So I didn't really, whenever I first read it, I didn't think these guys were bad guys. I just thought they were riding around somewhere where they know they might have heat with some guys and they was trying to stay safe. That's that's what I initially thought. But then I saw that Pierce body armor. I was like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that that's that that changes things. And plus, um, uh, what was what was I going to say? Um. The other two guys that were there, they're not from Chicago. Um, G. Herbo was the only one of the three that are actually from that is actually from Chicago. So it's hard for me to believe that you know you got beef with people. <laughs> like that guy, and that's your man's. If something happened and you with somebody, you know yeah. it's all or nothing. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know if you need a gym bag of with a gun. Like if you if you need if if you're in that area and you feel like you need to have protection, I think 
you know, having one gun on you and one weapon and a little bit of, like, I don't, yeah, I'm not from there. I'm from Newark, which literally was the North murder capital at one point while I was growing up. So I understand like, you know, that type of life, but I was kind of sheltered, I guess. I definitely wasn't gang banging. I wasn't in the streets. Um, but I still was exposed to certain things. I just find it so hard to believe that the it, it, Chicago is like that. But maybe it is, man. But anyway. They got all the shows. Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Chicago ER, The Shot. It's going to be Chirac. Something what, bro? I'm telling you. Chicago. Yeah. It's bad out there. Yeah, for sure. But that leads us into some other people in the music industry who got um, – you know, some arrested for a slightly different violent reason. Um, one being NBA young boy, never broke again, young boy. Um, he might be broke now. Yeah, yeah, he might be broke now because the dude got caught on video in a, I guess what it looked like a hotel in a hallway, slamming his girl. Like, I don't even know, like, I, I don't know, I don't watch wrestling, so I don't know what move this was. Um, but yeah, they, I knew this wasn't fake. <laughs> it looked kind of like a judo flip, kind of. Yeah, and he slammed it to the point where it looked like she landed on like her top area, like on her neck. Honestly, do you think um, her shirt ripped off? Because I could have sworn she had red absolutely. on in the beginning. Oh yeah, no, it, it definitely ripped off. I, I oh, see what God. you were saying. It was definitely ripped off. Now I don't know, like if she was fully exposed afterwards or if she had like a bra or whatever. But she, her, the, the, there was an article of clothing that was ripped off for a fact. Um. And the crazy part about it, and the reason why this is a interesting topic, is because afterwards she came out and said that they were just playing. That looked like a one sided play fight. First well, of all, was that Facebook Live or was it Instagram Live? It, it, I know it was something live because you could see all of the hearts and all that mess. Um, it looked like it wasn't Twitter. It looked like that was Periscope. Um, oh, from what I understand. For to understand that she was on Periscope and saying that, and somebody recorded it. But um, yeah, she was out there saying that you know they were playing or whatever. Um, and the sad part about it is that's typical victim talk when it comes to um, domestic yeah, she abuse. She sounded like a victim. Yeah, when it comes to domestic abuse, if you're in a relationship, you a lot of mind control and and, and, and mental abuse that goes into it, as well as the physical. Um, Looking at that video, and if you guys get a chance to look at it, I would definitely encourage you to do so. For you know, just so you'd have the 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 reference and the proper um, details on the situation. Um, yeah, it was almost as bad as the Ray Rice situation, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. That that's that's the feeling that I got when I saw the video, and you know, the one thing, and I'll get into more on that in a minute. But he, they weren't playing. I'm not stupid. Nobody's stupid. They weren't playing. He was beating her up for whatever reason, and that's not the first time that he's done it. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. And it's not the first time he's done it. He's probably done it with other. He's probably done it with other women. And the reason why we're bringing this up, because it brings an interesting conversation to have. One, you got a lot of people defending him, saying that people do that all the time in relationships. We should mind our business, yada yada yada, which is ignorant in itself. But you know, somebody made a good point that, you know, people were trying to paint, you know, give uh, give him a bad light, I guess, or a bad look because he got caught doing that. But then they give other people like the Chris Browns, um, 
you know, like the Tupacs who at one point was accused and, and, and charged with sexual assault and rape um, and other people like R. Kelly, we kind of sort of give them passes. Um, so what do you say to people who say that and, and have that type of feeling? Um, man, wrong is wrong. Um, haven't really listened to Chris Brown the same since that whole Rihanna thing came on. And, uh, you know, he went from being Chris Brown to Bobby Brown. He's literally like the Bobby Brown of our generation. Um, right. But me personally. But see, that's the thing about it. With some of this stuff, it's hard to disassociate. So you really have to try to um, disassociate some stuff. Um, one of the personal things I've been dealing with, with that is um, growing up, I love Family Guy. Like I may have seen up to like 2013. I may have seen like every, well, actually 2015. I may have seen every episode of Family Guy that there ever was. But um, there's an old episode that I had seen two years ago that um, it struck a nerve in me where um, they told a joke about Sarah Palin. And so, like, this was from when she was running with John McCain. Right. Um, they told a joke about Sarah Palin and her her child. Child has Down syndrome. And they made a joke about it. And they made a joke about it that was, like, not even trying to make a joke. It's like they pretty much were like, yeah, we said it. Boom, what you going to do? And it, and it really, like, struck a nerve with me. And I have not watched an episode of Family Guy since. I can't do it. Cannot do it. And that's like, uh, you, you, but see, it's things, but it's hard because it was like something I would watch all the time because it was all the way, because it was always on. And a rapper that I'm currently trying to do the same thing with Lil Uzi. He'd be walking around doing all this demonic stuff, which I, which I don't really rock with. So anytime he come on radio, can't listen delete his music out my phone I can't do it but it's like so much of it is so much there and it's like stuff you just genuinely like minus the circumstances of the person being involved it's like you have to actively try not to consume their content like you have to really try you have to make it point yeah I um I'm similar to you, and I pay attention. You know, people and their stuff. It's hard sometimes to separate the art from the artist. Um, but in in a guy like R. Kelly's case, you know, people you know make jokes of you know what he was accused of, which is basically being a pedophile. Um, and in now, yeah, racially with the with the sex slaves. Um, and it, it's hard because like that, that's the same guy that wrote "I Believe I Can Fly." Like he, you know, he, that's the one that did the whole chapter the closet series, man. And, and if you love that, um, it's hard to, at least for me, uh, to take that and be like, nah, I can't do this because of X, Y, and Z. Um, it's easier for me to do that with an NBA young boy because I don't listen to him anyway. Um, so this ain't you know affecting me none in the sense that you know I, I wasn't rocking with you in the first place just because I don't rock with your music. So now that I know that you or a scumbag then in that sense, then yeah, I'm not, I'm, nah, it's, it's easy for me. Um, but in the case of Chris Brown, um, 
You know, it was, I think for me, at least with a, you know, like Chris Brown, for example, I kind of forget about that whole thing. Um, and I do, I, I do judge the guy for that because we've seen that he's had other issues with domestic abuse, whether, even if it wasn't as physical as recent as with uh, Karuchi, because she got a uh, restraining order against dude. Um, um, you heard about the white girl. It was a white girl and a friend that was at his house or something, and they pulled a gun out on him or something. I guess because like the girls tried to take their jewelry or something. It was at Chris Brown house. That was the time that they had the SWAT team and all that outside his house, and he was making uh, Instagram posts about it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, for what I read about that situation, he was he was innocent from whatever it was. But I do remember Bro, that. Where there's smoke, there's fire, and where there's always smoke, there's always fire. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's something to that, and I forget the details of that. that. I forget the details of it. Something did happen, but from what I from what I read, like, uh, people who always are on Chris Brown, they were like, "Nah, this is actually like, nah, he's innocent this time." It's kind of sort of thing with Draymond Green when you build a reputation for for you know, or even Rasheed Wallace back in the day when you build a certain reputation for yourself, um, either you get the benefit of the doubt or you don't, uh, or it's the opposite, and you get blamed for stuff that you didn't really do. Um, so I think that may have been the case for that, but even if it wasn't, I'm just going to stick to the Rihanna case because we know for a fact that he did something egregious. Um, even if we don't have the details of what happened, um, you know, they were both young and stuff like that. And again, like I'm not making an excuse for it because I wouldn't have did that. Like I don't care how young you are. Um, but it's like, okay, how many years removed? Like at what point? do we still punish that person for, you know, maybe like a one-off incident or, you know, a mistake that they made or anything like that. Um, the reason why I, I can't rock with Chris Brown like that is because we've seen his behavior hasn't really changed. Like he, he still shows that he's, he, he's a hothead and that he may still practice or, or, or have those sort of behaviors when things are stacked against them and he isn't, things aren't going his way. Um, he may not, you know, bite a woman or anything like that, but he 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 seems still seems possessive and abusive and winning relationships. So that's why. Yeah, speaking of which, Chris Rock better watch out because he might be next on the hit list. I don't think <laughs> the other Chris can take a joke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so and, and the fact that he can't—that's another thing. The fact that he's so defensive about it. It shows to me that you may, you know, there may be something to that, but yeah, bro. Like in all honesty, like me, you can tell when I'm lying because I'll get on the defense. If I know I'm right, unless like I'm in immediate trouble, proving otherwise, I don't care what you think. And like that's the case with most people. So, man. I don't know, unless he's just one of those people that needs constant validation from everybody, which may be the case because whenever he posted, uh, no, whenever he hosted uh, with Drake at the ESPYs one year, I think it was the ESPYs, he swore he was still America's sweetheart, <laughs> which I never thought he was, but I mean, he might just be one of the people that needs constant validation. He might be the ultimate millennial. Exactly, and he he was on his way before that incident where Rihanna happened. But he was on his way to being like that sweetheart kind of guy. But he got way too much edge. He got way too much edge. Really, he had edge to me before that because I don't know. Like, did you used to watch Punk? Um, yeah, I did every now and then. 
there was an episode he was on before the Rihanna thing happened, and this was like when he was starting to take off. And he was in a restaurant or a parking lot. I'm either getting the one with Missy Elliott or the Brat mixed up or the one with him. But he was in one of those two situations. And yo, like, Chris Brown was like, Tiger Shark with blood in the water. He was ready to whoop somebody ass. <laughs> like, like, yo, he was ready for it. He was down. And it was just him. Like, I don't think his crew was with him. He was just ready to go. So, like, I kind of saw shades of it then, but yeah, you should go back and watch that episode or, like, at least a clip from it. But he was ready to throw hands then. Yeah, he, he's shown shot. He's shown signs before then. Even his music had a little bit more edge. You know, he wasn't. Is it me on the floor? Like he was a little bit more, you know, down and dirty. You know, freaky and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I, and that's it's, it's it's just it's a lot of it that goes into the moral aspect, and it can't accept. Um, so I guess it's an individual basis. You know, I don't. I'm not the biggest Uzi fan, but I do listen to some of his songs that I like just because I like the way it sounds. I can't rock with him and like because I do and see that, like that's what I'm saying because the music to me, I mean, like he's a garbage rapper. Let's call it what it is. he's a garbage rapper, but the beat and his melody, I like the way it sounds. But yeah, I can't get with the 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 uh, the devil worshiping stuff. Yeah, I can't either. So. That being said, you want to move into Takashi Six Nine, or should we just skip that guy and go to Monique? Um, we go. We gonna skip that guy. Uh, it's not yeah, much. He he ain't even really much worth it. He's he's a pedophile. I knew he was a creep. Just by the you could look at him and know he a creep. But um, and yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on the Monique thing. But um, I think it is important to note that she's been making the rounds. Um, on this press run, so to speak, or with you know meeting with Oprah and went on the Breakfast Club with Charlemagne and because she was donkey today at one point and she took and issue. She went there and showed the car fast. <laughs> or, or, or I guess I guess she thought she did, and a lot of people thought that that made her look better um, after the interview because of you know her presenting different facts or different details of what actually happened. Um, a lot of misinformation that was out there before her going up there. Um, I don't think she really did herself any favors, honestly. I still think, you know, at least for the donkey of the day, she was justified in the sense that he wasn't saying that she doesn't deserve 500000 or more than 500000 He was saying that you calling yourself the most decorated comedian of all time is just not true. It's not a fact. Um, and then as well, um, you saying that you should be up there with the Chris Rocks and the Dave Chappelle's and even Amy Schumer is kind of that's not 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 really of a, a true statement in itself either. Um, and to which when she came up there, she didn't really like prove otherwise. Honestly, um, I think her argument was saying that she was worth more than five hundred thousand um, and that there was some racial and sex uh, sexism um, being um, taking place. But when you got two black men who are making, you know, multi-million dollars and you got one white woman, I don't think there's not there's much sexism and racism in play. I think it's more so of a she any black women have that opportunity um that they were getting. What do you think? The difference with that with Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock getting that money is even though they're black, yes. 
like I mentioned before, they were both at one point in time legitimately the funniest man in the world. Um, it might not have been long, but they were both at one point in time legitimately the funniest man in the world. With that being said, it's not about how they view the artist per se, person that creates the art, but it's how they view the audience. Um, Dave Chappelle's audience, Chris Rock's audience. Yeah, the brothers listen, but Tommy and Max do too. Tommy <laughs> and Max love Dave and Chris, like for real. I mean, Comedy Central, if you look out in the audience, whenever Dave had his run of Chappelle's show, it won't all brothers in there, man. And even whenever you watch the special now, it's that way. Whereas Monique and Obviously, Amy Schumer's audience would be wider, but Monique's audience would definitely be black. By and large, by the most part, it'd be black. And she even made a good point about Gary Owens, white comedian with a black audience. And she was saying that he says he goes to Netflix every year trying to get a special. And they repeatedly tell him no because of the way that the demographics play out. It's not working, which goes back to what I felt she was making the point about the audience because of the audience that the artist caters to. I I disagree in the sense that it's, it's a little bit more than an audience. It's just relevance. Um, I think Charlamagne was trying to tell her as nicely as possible, you're not popping right now. Like, um, and, and I guess a little bit that of that goes into the demographic, but to me, um, it's a lot. Just a lot of it is, you know, when's the last time you were actually popping? Like she had that movie, Almost Christmas. I didn't even know that movie came out. Like I had to look up the trailer <laughs> to, even, to even see what it was about because I had no clue that it was a comedy. I mean, well, I didn't either, but it made more profit than the Amy Schumer movie. It might not have made more money overall, but in terms of making profit from the budget which means she's doing just about the same with much less. I mean, come on, bro. Like, Yeah, which which like, is cool. That's fine and great, but Amy Schumer wrote or had writing credits on Trainwreck, which was a hilarious movie, and one of the first movies that she was, you know, she was uh, producing and, and writing in. So, yeah, whatever movie that was that didn't really do too well as far as how much they projected it to make or how much they spent on it with the budget, she didn't. Monique did not mention Trainwreck, which is the real movie that put Amy Schumer on that type of map and kind of gave it a platform to even be selling out Madison Square Garden. Even at Monique's peak, she ain't selling out Madison Square Garden, bro. I don't. That's what I. That's, and that's the part that I think was missing. That Charlemagne, because he was trying to be respectful. You know, Lenard, <laughs> he was trying to be respectful. You know, he didn't bring. He didn't really say that, but. Yeah, that's that's what it really come down to to me. Here's the thing though, which which is a good point that I think she made when she said the way that they see it, they make you play by day rules because if you don't, you ain't got nowhere else to play. I definitely agree with that because the way that she described the Netflix deal, anybody who's offered that deal straight up, it should be well anybody of any kind of significance. It should, it, should, it should straight up be three, four million off the reel. Because they're asking you not to do your own tour and stand up for two years. 
So any so that's extremely low ball in her because she could probably make that and I mean she definitely made that in a year. And so I mean I just they definitely lowballed her, bro. Oh yeah, they definitely lowballed her, but I don't think it was uh, racist or, and I think everybody is saying that or acknowledging that that she was lowballed. There's no denying that, but I don't think it was racist or sexist. <laughs> I just think it was a more of an individual basis. They was like, yeah, we don't see the value in. Maybe. I don't think it was racist either. I think it was just because there's no other market for her. Like HBO don't want her, or Amazon don't want her, so you know. But I don't know, man. It's like to me, that's just bad. I mean, that's just like strong arming people, like five hundred k or nothing. Like, come on, bro. Like, like she'll make that in six months, probably. Like, no, no, it don't make no sense. And then you heard about uh, because uh, Tiffany Haddish, her name repeatedly came up whenever she came into the Breakfast Club. Um, have you heard any full details on what her deal was worth with uh Netflix? No, so I didn't get any facts on that. I heard that she did get a multi-million dollar deal that she's had on a hush, but I also heard the opposite, that she only got like 800K. So That's I'm not... the only one where I've seen like a legit number, 800K. Yeah, I haven't seen any facts on that, so I didn't really want to bring it up. But um, I do think that she could. I think even Tiffany Haddish won't get that much. I don't even think Tiffany Haddish should get um, Amy Schumer money for the simple fact of – She's new on the scene as far as just just now getting popping. Like she got to she got to do a little bit more before. If I'm Netflix, you got to do a little bit more before I give you that multi million dollar deal. Um, I might give you a little bit more than Monique at this point. Um, so you're saying you would give her the eight hundred k? Not eight hundred k. No, <laughs> nah, nah, I'm not giving any. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm about to say no. I don't know where Netflix coming from giving somebody less than a million bucks, but. You know, they want some other stuff. But um yeah, that's that's where I'm at with it. Um oh yeah, uh would also like to add to that just side note. Um reported I wanna say it was the last show, might have been a show before, whenever we were talking about Monique said uh they initially offered her three million dollars that there was a report out they offered her three million dollars as false. Um, Monique released email communication showing all of her conversations with Netflix about wage and what she would be paid. And they actually offered like 800K, but 300K of that eight would go toward production. So, like, you know, she wouldn't get the money. Is that on? Yeah. So it was effectively 500K. But um, so she called that guy out, and that's been deemed false. And it's very interesting. I think that might have been uh, Netflix trying to put the mole out there, and Monique checked that ass like for real. I that is what I think happened. I think Monique checked him as well as she should. Now, if that's the case, I have no problem with that. I'm on I'm on Monique's side with that, with these you know false um, representations of what's really going on, but. You know, I just think that when she because the issue, the issue that people forget, like this all started when you came out here and was saying, my loves, um, I want you to join me in boycotting Netflix for being racist and sexist. You know, they well, offered me like, only 500 K. Grandma, bro. Huh? I said, when she become everybody grandma? <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know, man, but she on this 
peace and positivity thing. She calling Charlemagne Lenard, um, talking about his mama and grandmama. I'm like, now you step up, you over crossing the lines. Yeah, I know bro, she I definitely knew she tried herself when she started going at the Oprah. I said she definitely tried to uh, Black Panther it up, like for real. <laughs> yeah, she tried it. Yeah, that's, so that's the part I don't like. But pretty much everything else, I'm on her side. Really, I think she might not should have gotten Amy Schumer money, but she definitely should have gotten north of that three million that was falsely advertised. Right. Um. So moving on, I think it's a good time to go into the uh, the game six portion. Um, yeah. the show in the huh? clutch game six, game six, man. So I'm gonna lead it off this time, man. My game six, uh, for this week, it's kind of hard to come up with some people because you got guys like um Jaquan Newton from Miami hitting game winners against Chapel Hill. Um, yeah, and he shoot, he's the, the thing that's the reason why that's clutch is because they were up like 15 in the game. Uh, Chapel Hill came back now. This is Chapel Hill senior night, too, by the way, North Carolina. Um, so guys like, oh, I'm so uh, glad they lost. yeah, <laughs> you got the guys like Theo Pinson and uh Joel Berry, who I feel like he, he must have had like three senior nights, but anyway, <laughs> um, they were down 15. Then you know, Chapel Hill came back, fought their way back. Joel Berry was looking like Steph Curry, um, and they tied up the game at 88 with like five, six seconds left. This dude from Miami came down, he shoots 17 percent from the from three. Uh, which is ridiculous, and he came back and uh, hit the game winner at the buzzer uh, from half court. Do you recall the name of the guy that hit the shot? Jaquan Newton. I think he might be the because um they got one guy there that's going to be a lottery pick. That might be him. I think he's two guard. I th- I don't I don't think that was him. I think it was the guy Walker. Um, but yeah, he he, he did his thing. So he could have been my game six. Could have been Dwayne Wade going back to Miami. You know, hitting step back jumpers on the night that he's wearing sneakers in memory in memory of one of the kids who got uh, who was killed in that Florida shooting uh, at the school a couple weeks ago. Um, that kid reportedly was buried in Dwayne Wade's jersey, um, and Dwayne Wade found that out and wore some sneakers and like put his name on him, had it in memory of him. And Dwayne Wade hit a, a game winning jumper um, that same night. So and he dropped like thirty seven. He dropped 27, but he was like 10 or 16, and like he outscored the entire Sixers team by himself at the like at like late in the fourth. So he he was he was classic game six Dwayne Wade. But my my game six is going for uh, things off the court, and like I said, man, game six is not just um, you know uh, hitting the game winners. It's not always you know winning the literal game six of a championship series or anything like that. Game six is a lifestyle. It's a it's a way of life. It's about being clutch and, and, and doing uh, what's right. And one of the things that I think, or one of the teams and players who I think deserve game six for this week are the Golden State Warriors. Uh, if you don't know, they had the you know they won a championship last year in the NBA. And anytime any team wins championships, you know whether it's NBA, NFL, even college sports, sometimes. Um, you get a chance to go to the White House. That's just something that they've been doing, I think, since the 80s. And, um, you know, not too often does the actual team – I don't. I can't remember a time the entire team or organization declined the invitation. But as you can imagine, um, this was the first time um, that 
a team like Golden State um, in the NBA had a chance to visit the White House with Donald Trump in office. And, you know, this was around the time when they got invited. This was around the time that the stuff with the um, the NFL, the kneeling and Donald Trump was, you know, he's always been ever since he's came at, came out and ran his campaign campaign campaign. He's been saying and doing a lot of idiotic stuff. Um, and Steve Kerr, uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, they're all guys, you know, David West, all guys are part of that team. Andre Iguodala too, just to name a few who are part of that team and speak out against these injustices and stuff like that. So they didn't feel comfortable going to the White House, which I totally respect it. I, was, I wouldn't have gone whether the team went or not if that was me, but I'm glad the whole team agreed on it, um, and they said no. But before they said no, when it was a report that they were even thinking about accepting it, Donald Trump was like, y'all not invited anyway. <laughs> and, the reason, <laughs> and the reason why uh, I like LeBron so much is because he called the president a bum. <laughs> and, the, and I still I don't think LeBron uh, I don't think uh, Donald Trump has ever responded to that but I know for a fact he knows that LeBron called him a bum but um, that was hilarious I but I yeah. do have uh, intel he got a fire diss track for him though I did hear that it's fire yeah. MF, that's what I heard it, Donald Trump don't want them bars from LeBron man and, and that's first of all he, he, and he definitely don't want it for Eminem either but anyway um, so I give it to the Golden State Warriors because this was this week was supposed to be the week when they made the trip to play against the Washington Wizards that they would have had that trip to the White House. But because they didn't do that and they were in Washington, they decided to take a bunch of kids to the African American Museum that's in Washington. Um, instead, that's where they you know they decided to spend that time uh, doing their their charity slash philanthropy work. And I have nothing but respect for that, even if I don't want the Warriors to win the championship. Um, that's the very game six moment. And Kevin Durant as well, he recently announced that um, he's going to be giving $2 million over the next 10 years to schools in his hometown, uh, like the PG County. Um, and that you can't get more game six than that, man. Um, nothing respect for that. Nothing but respect for that. Um, you got to really give it up to him and the Warriors for that. So um, they're my game six, quote unquote, performance or, you know, people of the week. That was clutch. You know, what about you? I'll, uh, I don't know, man. It might be time for spring break. It seems like you feeling Miami right now. But uh, <laughs> my game six would. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to murder some of these names because um, it's not the Russian Olympic team, but the. Uh, National Coalition of Foreign Russian Athletes, I guess they call them. I don't know what they call them. But um, they're wrapping up Winter Olympics and watch some of the figure skating. Um, so there's two-time world champion, Evagina M. I'm not going to attempt the last name. But um, Evagina, she was before the Olympics. She was coming off of an injury. She was two-time world champion before the injury, and this was at, like, 17, 18 years old. So she's effectively the future of the sport, right? Two-time world champ at that age, coming off of an injury. Mm. Her first event before the Olympics, so this was a little bit before the Olympics, loses to her teammate. We're just going to call her Alenia. <laughs> Bruh, 
Well, nah. Her name is Zagativa, so we're gonna call her Zag. Lost, lost to her teammate Zag in that national competition. Zag is 15 years old, and she just took down the two-time world champion future of the sport. Wow. And they're going into the Olympics, and they're going to be teammates because they have the team figure skating, and then they have individuals. In the team skating, Evagina, the former two-time world champ, posted the highest score in the history of the team event with her with with her performance. Like and like, I'm watching this, and I was like, "Wow, that was really good." And I see why she's two-time world champ, and I think she's gonna get a crown back. 